Hello, and welcome to the Bedrosian Book Club Podcast, an audiobook club where we read and discuss a book every month, sometimes two. We read new and classic works, fiction and non, through a lens of governance to really delve deep into what it means to participate in our communities in the 21st century. I'm Aubrey Hicks, Executive Director of the Bedrosian Center, and today we're ending the summer with a satire on lots of things versions of ourselves that we put on the internet, um, toxic masculinity, cults, a lot more. Uh, We're reading Alex McElroy's The Atmospherians. If you haven't read it yet, it's the story of a, quote, canceled uh, influencer and the beginnings of a cult to transform white men into better people. It's a trip. So yeah, there's a lot going on here. If you haven't read it yet, stop right now and come back when you've read it. Otherwise, just know that we are going to spoil this. So before we begin and I introduce my guest, I want to acknowledge that the Gabrielino and Tongva peoples are the traditional caretakers of the Los Angeles Basin and the Southern Channel Islands. We pay our respects to the ancestors, elders, and all our relations past, present, and emerging. Thank you. So with me today, I'm going to go around on my Zoom screen. Caroline Bala is here to join us. Caroline, can you tell our listeners who you are and why you decided to to read this book with us? Hi, everybody. I'm Caroline Bala. I'm the executive director of the Price Center for Social Innovation at USC. And I decided to read this book with you all because I love fiction novels of any kind. And I thought that this one was about um, the time we're living in. So it looks like an Instagram picture on the cover. Yeah. And I said yes. And so that's why I said yes to this book. I love the cover. Yeah, that's great. Um, and Lisa Schweitzer, can you tell our listeners who you are and uh, why you chose to read this book? Yes, uh, my name is Lisa Schweitzer. I'm a professor in the Department of Urban Planning and Spatial Analysis and Gender and Sexuality Studies here at USC. And I chose to read this book because you asked me to, and I pretty <laughs> much slave to whatever Aubrey tells me to do. And it has never really led me wrong. Except I have to say, just a little foreshadowing, I don't know that I enjoyed this book. I'm confused. Yeah. I'm confused. Uh, but, you know, again, I am a lot like Carolina. I love, really love to read fiction and I like to talk about fiction. And so, yeah, that was my reasoning. Excellent. And Donna Jean Ward, can you tell our listeners about yourself and why you chose to read this book? Okay. My name is Donna Jean Ward and I work here at the... Um, Saul Price School of Public Policy, <laughs> and um, and I do special projects and um, diversity and inclusion um, work. And um, I said yes to this book because Aubrey asked me, and she always has some interesting books. And um, yeah, I'm in. Um, so it's funny because uh, uh, I had given everybody the list. Um, and uh, didn't give people a lot of time. But then Lisa was, as you were reading it, you said to me that um, you thought Donna Jean would, that uh, it would be a really good conversation <laughs> with Donna Jean. So I was like, poke, poke, poke. Are you sure you don't want to read this one? Um, so the atmospherians. Um, I think, uh, Lisa, you wanted to give us some trigger warnings, which I should really make sure I start incorporating. Um, this one definitely needs some trigger warnings. Yeah, you know, I know people have the tendency to be a little bit um, dismissive of trigger warnings, but 
I think it's kind of important for people who've gone through a lot of trauma to at least be able to set themselves up to understand what's coming. And in this book, there's a lot of abuse. Uh, there's child abuse, there's animal abuse. Um, there's a discussion of disordered eating and eating disorders and body dysmorphia, which could be triggering for people who are struggling with issues. Um, and we should also just straight up, I'm planning to spoil like crazy. Oh yeah. So people should also understand that this is a, this goes with a spoiler warning as well. Indeed. I should say there's nothing hardcore or graphic except for a couple scenes of what I would consider to be extremely, um, cruel verbal abuse of a child. Um, and those, those scenes are hard to read. Yeah. But the, the violence happens in general off, off scene. I had trouble with the, the uh, binge and, and purge. Yeah. As well. I mean, um, yeah. there was a, there was a lot of purging. I think one of the reviews I read had a, um, a, a warning, a, a trigger warning specifically for people who, uh, are grossed out by vomiting. Um, and I learned a new word, except now, of course, I can't remember what the word is. Who is not, you know, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bob, you know, I, know. I mean, that's got, that's for anybody. Nurses right? and parents with toddlers. I know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even. My husband's then, not grossed know, out by mommy. Yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> this girl is. I know. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, me too. <laughs> It's been a while, but still, it's it's never good. Oh, gosh, I'm glad it's been a while. Um, so I want to start with something that was the first thing that sort of took me out of my, like, oh, gosh. You know, you learn early on that she is some influencer and that something she said uh, was linked to someone's someone's suicide. That, you know, I wasn't really, you know, it's terrible and, um, you know, talking about cancel culture and that sort of thing. But the first thing that really sort of stood out to me as like, oh boy, was this idea of man hordes. Was that, I mean, is that the same for you guys or was it something else that stood out to you that this is a little bit like, whoa, where are we going with this? Yeah. I mean, it starts with the man hordes, right? At first I Mm -hmm. couldn't quite understand what was going on with the people shouting, you know, and, um, and then, you know, it's like, oh, it's all men. And, you know, what is it, the chance that they have, you know, um, outside of her? You know, but I was thinking, well, this is what happened. What's going on? What's so horrible? Why, you know, and uh, the one thing that was sort of odd about that was that I, I felt like it took a long time for me to understand, like, why the, um, I can't remember the guy's name, but like, why did he, you know, commit suicide, like, until, you know, for her? Like, what? And I felt like through the whole book, I didn't understand like why he did it other just to, yeah, it was, so there was, there's this whole thing of, I mean, well, there's a lot about men, right. And like, you know, they're white men, you know, you know, um, fragility, actually, I would say it's like, you know, it's, I, and I wondered if the author was sort of like making a critique to that whole notion of, you know, um, white fragility or, you know, insert in mood books and things like that. that are out. I, I, I thought that there was a little, that there was a bit of that, you know, this is a critique of not only um, the Instagram kind of um, thing, but just in general. Um, and, you know, well, here, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. You know, it's a first novel. I, I really like the, the 
reading, the writing. Um, and I thought pretty impressive for, you know, first um, book, but it's still like, I'm, you know, I want to know why, <laughs> why you want to have this conversation. The, the character's name was Lucas DeVry, the, the one that you were reaching for. And just to give a little background for listeners who haven't got there yet, um, which we hope we have, you have read, but if you haven't, I'd say the 90% of the book is narrated by a first person, first person perspective, a woman who was an influencer, as you pointed out, who then just becomes the uh, subject to online bullying and mobbing behavior and physical stalking because um, she becomes blamed for Lucas DeVry's death. Now, Lucas DeVry had been somebody who had been stalking her as an influencer, all sorts of harassing. And so there's this deeply troubled man. And I think what we're supposed, and I, I'm going to join in Donna Jean with this, with the caveat that because of my autism, I'm not always all that good at understanding farce or satire, mm-hmm. right? Like those things do have the, yeah, these things have the tendency to kind of whoosh past me. Uh, but I also think that I'm a close enough reader that my judgment here is actually okay. And I think Donna Jean is actually right in that those kind of become a little bit directionless here as some of these situations are close enough to real life that they're not quite an exaggeration, even though they feel exaggerated. So I think we're supposed to take away from this episode of, of the internet mob just turning on her. You know, she went from being adored to being reviled overnight because of this man as a, as a, as, as this author's comment on the ways in which we make women responsible for men's behavior all the time. Mm-hmm. And that this is just a really extreme example of it. Mm-hmm. It's just really hard to see it within this satire as something. Should we be taking it seriously? Shouldn't it be? Should we not be taking it seriously? Even though this is something that happens to women online rather routinely. It does. It feels a little bit like um, it is a satire a critique of sort of both sort of extremes of internet behavior, this sort of masculine toxicity, which Lucas had, you know, he was really, you know, writing very sexually explicit and abusive messages to Sasha. And, you know, she finally says something back. And, you know, that's his excuse. Um, But we also don't know enough about him or even about, you know, more than one or two messages. We just know that he was stalking her. And, you know, that sort of anonymity as well, you know, that they're not people who knew each other (laughs) at all. And yet, you know, it ruined, you know, their sort of online relationship, which was stalking and weird fandom, you know, sort of imploded in in such a way that it not only affected Sasha's life, but then, you know, all of these, you know, the man hordes went after her. And then she was ripe then for her friend when he says, you know, I want to have this cult, which also seems the very, you know, sort of other side, like we need to make white men, you know, humans. So it, it just felt like it was a bit, you know, that the author that they're trying to do like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so you kind of want to mo- know more about Lucas, but, you know, sh- we know as much as Sasha knew, which That's is a good point. not a lot. The one thing I wanted to touch on was um, when what Lisa talked about in terms of satire, um, the book was so satirical, it was almost hard for me to um, stay in it. 
you every single every single thing was tongue in cheek. Every allusion was, you know, click when they go to the gala for underprivileged children and digital cameras. It was so there was so much satire upon satire. It was hard for me to um, keep it straight. And I thought it, it, it was, I just think that, I think that piece was a little overblown. So, you know, there, I got a lot out of this book and I'm happy to talk about those parts too, but there was nothing straight in the book. There was nothing, um, you couldn't take anything at face value. And so I found that kind of difficult. And I guess that's maybe the point, but um, I felt like it was a little overdone. Yeah, especially once you get to the end and you're just like, oh gosh. (laughs) That's what I mean by a little bit directionless. Like satire should help you at some point, I think, or at least literature should at least help you kind of understand uh, either the moment, the society, the person, the political problem. That should help you kind of gain some clarity on when things have gone too far, right? And become absurd. And in this case, there's so much absurdity and it's so directionless that you, for me, I just couldn't get a toehold. Yeah, it was really hard. And again, this is a problem of ambition. I think it's also a problem with timing. So it's really hard to do satire now. Mm, Yeah. You know? Well, because, you know, I was going to say when Caroline, you were talking about click. Yeah this nonprofit they're holding a fundraiser to give digital cameras to malnourished children so they can document, you know, because everybody needs to be able to document. And, you know, myself, you know, I was thinking, okay, this is really, this is really crazy, but I didn't think it was so over the line. You know, that's the problem, right? It actually is. The problem is that there's way too much external gaze. Yeah. on people who are who, who experience deprivation, right? And that people who do experience deprivation should absolutely have the capability to self-represent, right. both in political processes. I think here, like the idea that they, they need to do it so that they can be online or on Instagram is the ridiculous part. But that's the thing, right? Is that that's not it's not a terrible notion to be critical of like media gazes and poverty porn and all this other stuff that's extremely harmful. Mm-hmm. Right. It's an easy, it's, it's kind of an easy joke to say, well, they need food, not cameras. Well, yeah, but they also need cameras. And one of the reasons why they don't have access to resources is because of the way they're represented by outsiders. Sorry, I, th- that particular one, there's a number of things here. And I think Donna Jean has hit the nail on the head in talking about how this is kind of a first novel. There's exceptional writing in here. There's some really important, and this is one of the reasons why I get so frustrated with the satire, is that we don't have enough good quality writing about men's body imagery Mm-mm. and the problems of the patriarchy and what it does to men, right? There's there's just not as much good stuff out there. And I think in many respects, there's a lot of heart in that part of the story that just gets destroyed or buried or occluded by this need to be ever so clever about all these other things, Right. And that, that just, that wound me up quite a bit in the novel. And then there are just the other kind of like, I'm one of those people who gets annoyed when somebody just sort of dismisses a novel as a workshop novel, but this has so many traits of the contemporary workshop novel and the ghastly cocktail party (laughs) is one of them, right? Like that ghastly, like we're, we may be elites because we're reading literature, but we're not those shitty elites, right? Like that one's, I swear, a requirement. (laughs) Like the required animal cruelty. God, if there is an animal in any literary novel published after 1970, don't get attached to it because it's going down. Yeah. 
<laughs> right. This this is so like every pretentious MFA person going, oh my God, I so totally not Rita Mae Brown. I'm going to murder the cat. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Like, 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 oh, it just, like don't give me, a, don't give me that kind of stuff just to prove how edgy you are. And there's way too much of that kind of self-conscious stuff in here. Yeah. And that's the kind of workshoppy stuff that I'm just like, you know, I think this author actually has enough native talent that they don't need to do stuff like this. You know, so I, I get you, but I also feel like that is kind of authentic to those characters, that they would also be that kind of um, self-referential. And it may be, but if I don't want to go to the cocktail party in real life, there's only so many pages I'm going to want to spend. No, that's, no that's absolutely true. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> there's not a character in here that I liked. Did you like any of the characters? I'm not even sure I liked the cat. <laughs> I definitely didn't like the cat. You guys know yeah. that. I didn't, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think if there is. I thought the cat was fine. Yeah, I, I thought the cat was fine. Maybe Peter, but I, I don't know. The, I, the, yeah, the, I liked, the, uh, the guy of the guys who were at yeah, the yeah. Peter never get to never got to be a real person. Yeah, yeah. Peter right. didn't get to be a real person. But he was like, but he was what uh, pruning people's gardens or something. I don't know. It was yeah. That's when the other thing too. He just point. again, like you were saying, it's just like too much, right? At, at a certain point, especially I don't you know throughout, I kept thinking like, is this a critique of women? Mm-hmm. You know, that that's, I mean, I think that was, I was like, you know, geez, you know, sh- is there anything about this, Sasha, that we're going to hear that seems like a woman that I would know? I mean, well, maybe not, but, or just, it just seemed like it was like, he, it was just too much on the, I don't know, I, 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 I certain parts I kept thinking like, no, this is this author doesn't seem to think much of it. Well, and all of the, yeah. the sort of negative things about Dyson and his uh, body image, yeah. you know, are typically feminine, you know, body image issues, even though lots of men uh, and non-binary people have them. But. Well, but this is part of the abusive nature of like how like patriarchal structures and systems actually right. are men. If you don't fit into that hard body Right. That then your status is diminished because it is feminized, right? It's, you know, there's there's nothing okay about your body if it's soft. And I I I think I actually did kind of like Dyson. I think I did. I think I liked Dyson. It just in terms of likability, I was certainly very interested in him. Yes. Interested in him, wished that there was a bit of the novel that was from his perspective. Um, because, you know, it was it was all from Sasha's perspective. And, you know, uh, even though several times she said she was not a judgy person. I think that actually, I'm not sure. I'm still thinking about that. And I'd be really interested in what other people thought about that. Because in some respects, she's a very difficult person to have narrating mm-hmm. the body imagery stuff. Because she doesn't get it. She's never had to struggle. Mm-hmm. Right. And yet she has enough empathy to know that in many respects, she's the gun that Dyson loads at his own head here because of that. Mm -hmm. And yet we get a few little snatches of insights into the abuse that contribute to his body imagery, right, through her eyes. Mm -hmm. Um, But because we never get to see it from Dyson's perspective, I think it's for me, I found that to be a dead. I, I thought it deadened the impact of that theme a little bit, but maybe, maybe it actually made it 
more real. But I thought, you know, with um, the, the Dyson's father, you know, and his sort of like um, body image, you know, you know, things that he, you know, so I, I thought that was connected, you know. Oh, absolutely. With the, you know, um, just the idea that your your body has to look like something, you know, um, specific, you know, and you have to be, you know, um, but yeah, it seems like I'm trying to remember if, um, she witnesses that key scene where his father, right, yeah. Yeah. And the father going down to, in the basement to sort of like, you know, pump some iron or whatever. Um, yeah. So I think there, yeah, I think it was like everybody had some kind of body issue. To me, it felt like when she, I want, I don't know, I don't want to make too big of a claim here, but one of the only times I really related to her was when Dyson asks her when he comes to her house and says, show me how to have a body like yours. And she says, when Dyson said, show me how to have a body like yours, what I heard was show me how to internalize the expectations of magazines and commercials and lip licking men in the street. Show me how to obsess over myself, to hate myself, to me, to see my body as something both valuable and worthless, something constantly under construction. That was what I believed what he wanted for me. And regrettably, that's what I taught him. That was one of the only parts where she was like soup. That was like a very straightforward line in the book. There was no satire in that line. Super insightful, mm -hmm. super insightful. And yet she really doesn't seem to be able to deliver on that insight for herself or for him, right? Or for any of the other men. Very, very, very human, right? Very human in, mm -hmm. in that art. You know, sometimes we may know what the issue is and not really be able to activate positive, right? Nurturing ways to help other people out of those traps. But yeah, I also kind of... So I think the theme that helps me kind of track so much of the novel's action is this whole, the problem with narcissism in these systems too, right? So on the one hand, we have, you know, we have this very abusive father who treats his son with contempt because he's projecting his own hatred for his own body onto this boy. And that, that becomes internalized in a way that teaches a very dysfunctional type of narcissism right, that, that Carolyn just described about how you can be the ultimate architect of this body, but you do it entirely for the external consumption, of right? You do it entirely for the gaze of others. I like how Carolyn's rocking down there. She's like kind of going back and forth and nodding. And <laughs> I stand up desk. I hope it's not too distracting for everybody. <laughs> it's all good. Flashing you some support for your, for your healthy stand-up desk choice there. Right on. Right on. <laughs> Especially since it contributes to dancing on Zoom. Exactly. Um, you know, to, to stay with Dyson for a little bit, you know, Sasha says that he was happy to be in the fat kid role, that uh, he didn't have to work on a personality because it was chosen for him. And in so many ways, that was the first time when I was, I was really sad for Dyson, not just for Dyson, but for the way, you know, he's viewed by his best friend as well i don't think i ever felt that sorry for dyson mm -hmm. i don't know why i guess partly because i didn't lo love anybody in this book i wasn't rooting for anybody but i never really well i wasn't rooting for either. i didn't feel sorry for him i felt sorry for sasha hiding in her apartment i mean that in the beginning scenes i felt i was scared yeah and then when i thought about you started talking about man hordes in the beginning when i think about man hordes it strikes terror in my heart 
Yeah. Well, because it's not, because it doesn't feel as satirical as it should, because we just, you know, we witnessed the insurrection on January 6th. We've been watching how, you know, particularly white men and white women, but mostly white men have been so aggressively anti-masking or anti-whatever, you know, in their, in their protesting. Um, it doesn't feel as satirical as perhaps it should. Except for the, like, they forget what they were doing. They just sort of spontaneously group together. Change someone's tire. Or hurt somebody or, yeah. Right. Or you garden somebody else's yard or something. You know, I think, you know, it's just, yeah, some of the, uh, the, the, I don't know, some, the way he sort of set things up just seemed bizarre. Like, you know. But, but it was meant to be bizarre, I guess, right? You know. Did the novel really need the manhorts? Yeah, I don't know. I felt they were kind of tossed in a little bit. You know, they were. I, I feel like they weren't as explored, but I think it's because there there were too many different kinds of things instead of just, like, a manhorde where, like, the men get together and be violent or they get together and rescue kittens, but they do all the things and you never know and they forget. And it was just very confusing Mm -hmm. but it did also seem to be the impetus for Sasha wanting to get out you know it seemed more like a a plot device to get the movement from one place to another yeah I mean I think the but I don't think you even really needed the man hordes in order to illustrate like online mobbing of women I mean no it's just appalling what women put up with online Mm -hmm. right Um, and this is just another step I mean I don't even think I, but the the man hordes of this or that killing the German shepherd, saving the kid like that, that stuff really seems kind of extraneous and, and tossed in there. Like I, I tried to figure out what I consider to be sort of the central focus of the satire. And I really think it has to do with really trying to send up the very notion of, of the idea of community in the contemporary world when it is mediated to the degree that it is with our online social media tools, right? Like, you know, she goes from darling to devil overnight on social media, largely because, you know, people don't really know her or the person who kills himself. Right. So I kept going back to empathy from Kate Mann's book about, you know, instead of being remembered as an online creeper who was making her life miserable, he was a pastor and a father three, <laughs> right? And everyone, everyone sort of latched onto that, even though he wasn't really a pastor in their community or a father of three in their community. He was just somebody whose mediated presence was presented to him after his high profile suicide. And I think that's kind of, to me, that's the satire that does try to run through the entire thing of, you know, the, the families that these two came from. And I do feel sorry, actually, for a lot of people in this book. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of hurt people winding their way through this book, propagating hurt yeah. throughout. Mm-hmm. So, you know, her mom is not a particularly good mom, right? She's not a terrible mom. And there's not a lot of, you know, obvious abuse going on. But there's not a lot of obvious good parenting either of really giving anyone the tools that they need in order to be a fully actualized person for either her or Dyson. I feel sorry for Dyson's dad because anybody who hates himself that much, it's just painful to look at them, right? And then, you know, you sort of get into Dyson's manipulation of her 
to get her to go along with this idea to create an artificial community of this cult, which in and of itself novelistically becomes completely unmanageable with 12 men, right? I just, I imagine this was a lot like the people at Disney who were like, oh my God, 101 Dalmatians. How are we going to name all of them? <laughs> I was going to say, we have to do the, the, the list of the different men. You the know. list of the different men who never become real, right? Just yeah. a few of them. None of, none of them. Not even Randy. Or the, the types. The types that... that uh, yeah. The archetypes. Yeah. So, should I, should I read them off? You want to? Sure. Yeah. Just which, so I think I got them all. Yeah. So, 12 terrible men, which was, was and these were the categories. Stubborn man righteous man, accommodating man, military man, uh, work a, work a mallet, work a helic. Oh my God. So you guys know my <laughs> workaholic right. man, sportsman, neglect, <laughs> neglected dad, man, yoga man, you know, man by man, college man, addict man, professor man, and cheater man so cheater. yeah so cheater man about, like the, who who fits into that uh category that you know but um i know a few probably um yeah so we have this yeah we bring these wounded people together these wounded and wounding people together in a community with a half-baked plan yeah for, like half for, like a, the quarter <laughs> like <laughs> Plan. <laughs> Donna Jean's got right. We've got batter. There's no yeah, way it's totally here. raw. <laughs> it's not, and it's not even good, like yummy cake batter or anything. It's yeah. just raw, nasty batter. <laughs> like lumpy, oversalted pancake yeah. batter is what we got here. It's a terrible plan for going forward. And it's, you know, for for the reader, it's it's kind of an obvious attempt on Dyson's part to wreak some revenge on men that he view very he views as being very similar to his father. Yeah. So it all winds up being very punitive with the these very strange food rituals. Oh, so gross. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gross. There was a lot of gross things. But let me oh. let me ask you a question. So the I never even thought about what the book would be like without man hordes, right? Because that's not the way that I think about things when I'm reading them. I just kind of make, I just kind of shove my way through. But it's such a good question. And it makes me realize that there was so much of this book that was possibly unnecessary, right? Like to get the point across, to do what he wanted, uh, what they wanted to do. Um, you could have removed a couple of things here and there. And I guess I hadn't really thought about that, but that's one of the reasons why the book was so hard to describe and also uh, make sense of, right? Is there so many different um, little devices, right? So the list is one. Um, and then all these little interludes in the book where it's like um, the difficulties of being a man, mm -hmm. uh, a questionnaire. I mean, I they made me laugh. I enjoyed them, but mm -hmm. what was... Is that, was that the point? I don't really. But it's really... also very fragmented, like the internet, right? No, that was the point then. It was I, trying I, to be like scrolling a website. See, it sort of felt like that to me because it was like, you know, you've got all of these things and it's, it, it's too much. It's just too much. It's that sort of information overload. Yeah. It's that but switching I mean, from one thing to another. It's that superficiality. You don't ever really get into anything. You know, I was thinking about, um, you were talking about the the quiz, but... I was also thinking about Sasha's lists 
of things that she wants men to know and how sort of silly it seems. I mean, only in that, like, they're just the most obvious things that if you asked a man, what do you think women want (laughs) us to know? It would be like, well, don't call me honey. You know, just such a, I mean, there's so many other things that, you know, especially someone who, um, you just went through something that she did and how she's been living with these men who are so traumatized that you would think that she would think deeper, but there's nothing really deeper. Lisa, you look like you disagree with me. And I appreciate No, no, this is, this is thinking face. I'm sorry. You haven't seen me for a while. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking it. It hurts my poor little head face. No, I don't actually disagree with any, any of that. I, although I have to say, I did think that a lot of the things from her list were things I would like people to know. Oh, yes. It just didn't feel... Um... Maybe it's my routine exposure to 19-year-old people that gives me more faith mm. in somewhat basic lists of things that people should know. Um, it's sort of surprising yeah. how, how you, know, you don't necessarily know these things, right? You don't necessarily know them. That is, you know, you're absolutely right. And I am doing that thing where... Uh, you know, I've, you know, seen those, those things on so many different lists that it's like, how do, how do people, you know, it's, it's one of those things you'd never have to cite because it's common knowledge <laughs> sort of thing. Right. But, you know, I think it's interesting that you were talking about when it comes down to, you know, what this book is about, that it's about community and, um, sort of not being able to have community. Uh, even though in so many ways, so many of these these characters, even though we don't know them well, what we do know about them is that they want to have the craving sort of tribe or community or something. Um, and I was thinking about how, you know, to me, it was really, you know, about the way we portray ourselves on the internet. Mm-hmm. And I just want to, cause that's, I am, <laughs> there's so many things going on in this book, but, um, but then, like, damn, right? Oh, God. Which is like, the, I totally forgot about damn. Defense Which against sort of like where mistakes. If you, make a, if you, you put something online and it's, you know, negative, and then you, you know, you have time to sort of go and take, take it off without anybody seeing it, you know, so that you can then continue, you know, um, yeah. And I, I, you know, I, I, I would not to hurt people's feelings or, but like, you know, just, you know, yeah, I don't know, just sort of like um, not, you know, not have the same problem that, you know, Sasha had, you know, by saying something mean to the, to the man who killed himself. You know what I mean? You know, yeah. so it, just, it was just things that like seemed, and it was just so, I don't know, goofy, but at the same time, it was just weird. It made me think about, you know, what um, I've heard men say on the news or whatever on the internet about I don't know what to say now because I could be canceled right and so oh, oh right okay that's what, yeah okay. you know so it's like um, that's right it's the it's sort of like like your account so right. keep you from being canceled keep you from being because canceled. then you can you get time to sort of like to, well not not just time but it tells you that like you have you're being offensive you're right, being offensive you have an 86 percent chance of lo- losing followers because you know clearly right. that's the that's the thing you want <laughs> true, to do yeah. right and so you know it's not about 
you know, changing the way you think or like enlightenment. Okay, I'm about, what'd you say? This is one of those moments where I really think my autism is kind of coming through in reading this, in reading mm. this, this book, because I actually think damn would be just fine. Yeah, I you know I think, I think it's too. a bad thing at all. You know, it's, honestly, it's like the um, where um, you know there's a an app that'll tell you know like oh you you know um, you should change that that um, grammarly to be more you know yeah, yeah. well I can't You're remember not. what it is but it, it is yeah grammarly yeah. or grammarly um, grammarly yeah. that's basically so, yeah. what what damn would be but yeah. with like you said something you know that could be a problem. Yeah, I mean if the premise is that certain types of speech really do harm people, right? And the example that they gave was spirit animal. And I've heard from more than one person oh, yeah. that, you know, for people for whom actually have this in this tradition, having, you know, white people jibber jabber and, and sheep in the concept is really harmful to them. And I'm like, okay, I'm willing to believe people when they tell me that. Mm -hmm. totally. um, and if, if, you know, you had some sort of AI that popped up and did that educating process instead of the native peoples having to do that, yeah, that strikes me as win, win, win all across the board. And yeah, while it's sort of couched in this cheap, you'll lose followers. I think that's one of the things he tries to skewer that's really uncomfortable yeah. for me. Because he's like, you know, you're supposed to just be so I think by the end, so annoyed and sickened by the performativity of these people. And it's such a that in of itself has become such a watchword of social mm -hmm. media, that mm -hmm. people have lost sight of the fact that all of social life is performative, right? Right. We have ways of disciplining bad speech within our communities, right? Whether they're physical communities, like I'm sure there is probably some Amish guy out there with a burner phone, right? Hidden in his barn, right? Who well, goes actually... to church, does all the Amish things so that he's loved and accepted by his family, but he's a total hypocrite because he's <laughs> surfing the web at night, right? Well, and, you do know <laughs> that the Amish uh, can use electricity for business. <laughs> so they do have phones in their barn. <laughs> well, not the old right. order Amish. They have a community phone, right? They have a community phone. Um, but, you know, there are different levels of yeah, Amish. There are different, different levels about this. Yeah. And I don't want to get too bogged yeah. down on no, this. With the, My yeah, point yeah, being just... that we all have to put on a social face. Yeah. Right, like social mm -hmm. life is to no small degree, like we we virtue signal. You know, mm -hmm. the way that you understand what virtue is is by watching other people be virtuous. Totally. Right. right? Like all yeah. these things that he wants to introduce, I'm kind of like, you know, yeah, I get it. Like in an online context, this can get cheapened pretty quickly. But what's really so wrong about what Dam is trying to accomplish? So, you know, I I actually agree with you there. Uh, I think the way that they're selling it. And, you know, I think the honesty with which, um, God, is his, what's his name? Roger? It starts with an R. The guy who was leading Roger. Okay, thank you, Caroline. You know, that he knew that in order to get funding, because, the you know, what was the line? That, you know, people who are able to fund this are the racist sexists because otherwise they wouldn't have money. You know, and you're like, mm, that's, I mean, that's not satire. That's just a fact. Mm -hmm. um, and in order to sell to them, you'd have to be like, you know, this is how you, you know, don't get canceled. Right. <laughs> and mm -hmm. that made, and that made sense to me. I think where, you know, it, it's sort of like, what was the mask that, that Sasha was wearing? You know, I mean, she and Dyson talked about that a few times that there's the mask that you have for everyone else and the mask you have for yourself, you know, and then there's this additional mask, which is like, what is your what do you want 
the people that you don't see face to face to see, you know, what, what is the mask that you put on for social media? Because, you know, in some way, abandon, you know, her original thing was not really even what she wanted to be. It was something that she thought she had to do for social media. Right. And then, you know, she was, her reaction and sort of sabotaging Dam wasn't really about Dam. It wasn't about, it wasn't even about Roger. It was about her feeling like she needed to, to be better than Cassandra. I just, I don't know if this is the time to say this, but two, I want to just jump in on two things. Please, please. One, back in the early 2000s, there was a delay on your phone. It was, we used to call it Google beer or Google drunk or something. And you couldn't send <laughs> things when you were at nighttime. Right. So I think it's a great idea. The other thing is um, I was very impressed with the idea of dam. And mm-hmm. I, I don't, the whole thing was, pro- I was really, I really liked um, all of, we can talk more about it, but that, all of that. I think McElroy should get get together and patent this like concept. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> Before some like tech giant goes in and it's and completely totally scoops it from him, they totally should. Today at the convocation, I heard. I guess it was Dean um, uh, Sony, um, the guy who's in charge of religious, the religious dean at USC. Uh, he had everyone lift up their cell phones, and he did a blessing of the cell phones. <laughs> and he said, so 20,000 kids lifted up their cell phones. And he said, may our cell phones and smart devices be sources of creativity and connection as opposed to outrage and anxiety. May our devices enlighten us to new and different perspectives, worldviews, and realities instead of just amplifying and reinforcing what we might already think and believe. And this is the one that I think really, you know, is about this book. May we resist the enduring temptation of constantly comparing our real lives and struggles to the curated, idealized Instagram lives of others. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Oh, that's that is really important. He's always good, actually. He's yeah. good. <laughs> He's uh, good at his job. I'm going to try to include that in the show notes, everyone. Yeah. But I mean, I think there's just so... I think there's just a, a sort of bottom line question about to what degree that's even really possible mm-hmm. without there being these kinds of evolving social norms. Well, you know, it's also about evolving algorithms too, you know, that, you know, what is, what is the purpose of some of these apps, you know? Uh, I mean, when you think about Facebook, right, it, it wasn't really built. I mean, it wasn't invented for community building or keeping in touch with your family. It was built so that some, some guys could, you know, meet, meet some girls on campus. Right. <laughs> Um, and it still has that sort of history and um, sort of ickiness still built into it. Yeah. And I mean, I think there's a lot of problems with AI, obviously. But, you know, in the data world, it's it's still written by and for, you know, it, it reinforces the white patriarchy. Right. So I get that, too. Like the people who are writing down, even though in the book it's 80 percent people of color, that's obviously not the real world. And so I, I'm, you know, I'm not really, you know, I'm not really a proponent of it, but I think that, uh, I think there's something to be said for that kind of technology, helping people be smarter. You know, so like, just like with grammar, like just something that pops up and says, have you really thought about what this means? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like on Twitter right now, if you try to retweet something that it's a link that you haven't opened, it, it has a little thing. Do you want to read the article first? You know? Uh, yeah. And and it's those little things that I think, you know, you're absolutely right, could help people just realize, you know, 
what they're actually doing because sometimes it is just you're just mindlessly doing things and maybe i'm just speaking for me i mean i think the 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 kicker on these is that the social media universe exploits right the human need for self-expression right and it does so in a way that is exists largely so that companies can harvest information right in order to make money yeah well yeah right to harvest information in order to make money these are not altruistic actors um, but that to the degree that people do find this as a meaningful way to get, I mean, what I find about her unwillingness to participate in DAM, I was confused by it. And I, I sort of interested in Aubrey's conclusion that it's because she's so upset about Cassandra and her rivalry with Cassandra. And, and maybe that's the answer because I kind of was very confused mm-hmm. by why she was so alienated from this process, except for, I mean, I just... It just to me seemed like it was her reacting from a place of frustrated privilege. That too, you know, it seemed to me that right, you know, she would have had to, she would have had to sort of come out as this person right. who had, you know, engaged in speech that had caused harm, and she just really wasn't willing to accept that. With some understanding, right? With some understanding that empathy for the fact that you know she shouldn't feel particularly. Comp- I mean, what she said wasn't nice. But this man was already fragile. Right. Right. And he's already very troubled. So to me, you know, the the whole that whole week she's filming the ad, right? She is, you know, it, it it's I had this sense that it was really cathartic for her. Um, it, you know, she had to go to sleep. She was just like, you know, it just took a lot out of her. And it felt like she was learning something. And then it wasn't until her conversation with Cassandra, who says, you know, in that that way that women are portrayed to be so catty, you know, that, um, oh, you know, I, I just knew you'd be right for this. And I, I didn't actually expect that you would demean yourself like this, you know, in that way, like I can hear it, um, you know, because you've seen it on television so many times, not because I've necessarily heard it in my real life, but then it's after that, that they play the ad. And so then Sasha is now looking at what she did through Cassandra's eyes and is like, oh, he totally, you know, that's totally right. I demeaned myself. You know, it's demeaning for me to be in this position. And so all of that work that she had done just blew up because, you know, she was imagining something from Cassandra. That's what it felt like to me. Yeah. I just wondered why Cassandra, like why, I mean, why Sasha was so, you know, like why it made so, so I don't, I don't know, like how, how she let um, Cassandra sort of like, you know, run the show for her. Like, you know what I mean? She always seemed to be like trying to, you would have thought like, or I would have thought she didn't have to ever like connect with her again. Like, you know, after it was just weird to me. Like, I, I don't know, like, why was why was that so important, that connection with this person who doesn't like you? It felt like one of those typical, you know, you're both laughing. But they're not teenagers. I mean, it's not no, like they're, they're not like teenagers. 14 just, years old. They're, they're not, not teenagers no. either. Yeah. No. I mean, because one of the things that marks teenagehood is that status yeah. consciousness right. and peer orientation. Right. And, you know, I also think, you know, it's supposed to be a send up of millennials. And I don't, you know, the millennials that I know, the Generation Z that I know, you know, are not that that sort of, you know, stereotype. But I think that relationship is so stereotypical uh, in in media, 
that um, that women can't be friends because they are, they're always competitive. Yeah, I think that was one of the things about the book that I didn't like because I thought it was, um, yeah, I, I thought it was a critique of women in a lot of ways. I think it. I, I think it was that sort of. It was. It felt well, like. Well, I'm not sure. There's a lot of. There are a lot of fair things you can critique. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. White, but, white, but white that, women over. Oh, yeah. But I'm not sure that these are entirely fair criti- criticisms. I, yeah. I don't. I don't actually buy that necessarily. Um, there's a. There's a passage here where I, I think there's something about Cassandra that's very important to Sasha and it has to do with the socioeconomic class mm-hmm. that she entered into their relationship in mm-hmm. because everybody in this, all the main characters in this book are just aspiring. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the other thing I don't necessarily like about sort of MFA program satires yeah. is there's nothing worse than aspiring. Mm-hmm. Right. And, 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 but it's like, what the hell is anyone supposed to do in this rotten right. world? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, well, I accept whatever, you know, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just going to be like the Monty Python people in the bog covered in shit. You know, it's only, it, and so this, this little piece here on 86 or no, it's 63. I'm so sorry. On my eyeballs, whatever. I, sh- I should just give up now and go to Kindle with like 0.17 point font. So it was impossible not to feel important around her regarding, this is Sasha describing Cassandra. It was impossible not to feel important around her. She was friends with every flowering tree, every fire hydrant, every lamppost, every greening puppy, every brick wall worth taking a photo in front of. She knew the names of weeds spouting through the cracks in the cement, the dreams of bodega cashiers. If she crossed the street without thinking, cars swerved around her in deference. Dyson and I were always in awe of people like Cassandra. City kids with a capital, with city and K capitalized. City kids. We'd known a few in high school transplants beset by restlessness and self-assurance, right? Possessed of an indifferent magnetism and the will to explore. They, they wanted in ways we never could. Desire came naturally to them. They were born in its belly, right? And so there you have, I think, one of the sort of internally accepted, and I think in, in many respects cleverly sent up uh, in the satire, uh, social stratifications of there's New York City and the rich kids who grew up there. And there are all those transplants, all those provincial kids from the country, right? <laughs> who come to the big city and, you know, they spent their Saturday nights jumping over clods of dirt. And so they're always a tiny little town. <laughs> yeah. They're, it's, they're always this provincial, they're always these provincial outsiders looking in at the Cassandras of this world who have this ease of being in the world because they were born on top and there's not very much that's going to dislodge them from being on top, right? Well, I mean, I don't see a whole lot from Cassandra. I, you know, I wouldn't feel like, oh, I, I don't know. It just, she didn't seem, she didn't strike me as that great. Like, you know, otherwise she she's not. She would have she been on TV, right? You know, her whole thing was she didn't get on TV. Cassandra exists largely as a media fragment, right? She's on TV because she's rich and attractive and from New York, right? She, she's but she didn't get on TV. And so that just made her the whole, you know, evil. I don't know. It was just weird. I, I, well, she did after, after Sasha went yeah, that out in yeah. flames then I think you might be exceptionally independent minded Donna Jean because <laughs> nope. I think it's very I think it's harder than we allow sometimes in the academy to resist forgiving and wanting to be part of that higher more elite social 
cultural status. I actually was going to say that in a different way. Like what I was going to say is I think that Donna Jean is um, like, I think that you're just, you're just cooler than I am. Like I always want people, I don't like it when people, I I do want that. I would have fought for Cassandra too. I'm not cool enough to say, all right, bye. You know, and even though I'm not a teenager and I'm a grown woman and I have my own life, like I felt that like tension of, I mean, I, I don't think I would have pined maybe as hard, but I understood her sadness when Cassandra left her. And I also think that what she says about city kids is both true and I think what she says about city kids is true, independent of country kids. I don't think city kids are who they are because they're up against what country kids are. I think the whole thing that's cool about city kids is that they are who they are because of the city. Like I was thinking about that book, Goldfinch. Did you guys read that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I love that book. I know it maybe a lot of people didn't like it, but I loved it. It was too but, long. That's all. <laughs> I think long. she got paid Just by the long. word. But, um, <laughs> you know, when he sees that girl in the museum, um, he, he knows that she's a city kid mm-hmm. and having spent, you know, not a, like a lot of time. I lived in New York for 10 years. The people who are from there, they do have a different sensibility, but I don't think it's in like juxtaposition. I don't think it's because they're different than the country folks this is what I'm trying to say. I don't know if I'm saying it well, but I think it's like internal to them. Yeah. So let me put it this way. I have put in, I have had enough graduate students, little graduate yeah. students from NYU. Look at me, a full professor <laughs> at a research university. They would be lucky to get a job at someday at conferences, badge gaze at me and go, oh, you're from California. Oh, yeah. Right. Like these status cities as, you know, star system cities, all there's a huge literature of research on this kind of stuff. Yeah, no, that's true. And I, I, my point about Sasha not really falling really has to do with her family's wealth more than anything. Like, like, so she does, let's say that Sasha or or Cassandra does the same thing that Sasha does. Right. And she gets herself in trouble online and has to drop off. What she goes to a villa in France somewhere, maybe she doesn't. She doesn't hole herself up in her little apartment with yeah, no means to run her business, right? Which is basically where we find Sasha. And so this whole, like, when the this world is very different when you have a safety net versus when you don't. And that's what Cassandra has, mm-hmm. right? That yeah. concept of not falling comes from that. Yeah, but I, yeah, I guess what I, I guess just what I was saying, like, you know, she's shown, you know you know, it's clear that she's not really a good friend, right, to Sasha, but like, you know, sh- she's still craving for her. That's what, that's the, the for me, you know. That but that's kind of part of, like of her it. thing, right, is that she has no idea what real friendship is. Yeah, and I guess is. it's with both of them, you know, also yeah. Dyson as well. She's not like, really a real friend to Dyson either, friend, right? right yeah. Dyson, like real friends help you like good relationships and good friendships help you make good choices whenever they can, right? They don't have to be perfect. But she and Dyson are not helping each other make good no, choices. They are not None of the people that surround them, right, are really like. Here's Cassandra, like pretending, yeah, to try to help her, like get into this good opportunity, right? When it's actually a disastrous choice. Yeah. I have a question about Dyson. So, like, is he dead or is he alive? He's dead. Okay, I think you know this book would be a lot more interesting if he were alive, though. And this has been his. I because I kept thinking to myself, I think is is he alive? Like, did 
you know, does he go to like, you know, his body washes up, doesn't it? At the end, I mean, she yeah, says right. his body washes up, but is she a reliable? That's what narrator? I was wondering. So yeah, I mean, I I just I got very confused at the very end too, you know, where she's like kind of like running the throat. I'm thinking about running the show and everything, and I was thinking to myself, is this like I don't, you know, I just yeah, I just thought like, well, okay we've got this plan we're gonna pretend that i'm dead and then you can be <laughs> i don't know in my mind the the last couple of you know um the last chapter i got a little confused well yeah i mean i don't i mean that's the other thing about sasha as narrator is you know um she is especially as you realize that she's telling this not as um you know, in the beginning, when I realized that she was telling this story, and sort of like, if I had known what I know now, then blah, 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 he'd still be around. You know, I was thinking, is she like, telling this story to a police officer? Is she telling the story? You know, I mean, I, I was, you know, like, who is she telling the story to? Right, yeah. And when you find out that, you know, she's still with the atmosphere, and that uh, yeah. Randy is still around of all people. And that she's, you know, talking to a reporter. I didn't know if she was manipulating this reporter for the sort of any press is good press <laughs> sort of thing. Or if she really was like, I, I need to get out of this. <laughs> but it, yeah, I just, I, I don't, I don't actually know because of the kind of character that, that Sasha is. What do you think, Donna Jane? I don't know. I, I, you know, I was thinking about it and then I thought like, oh, well, maybe he's actually alive and like living in Europe with a new name. And then so she gets to be the face of, you know, the atmospherians. And so she gets, you know, so she gets what she wants and he gets what he wants. But maybe I just made that up. <laughs> what do you think, Carolyn? Like I said before, I sort of just take for granted what they tell me. I thought he was dead. <laughs> <laughs> but I, 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 yeah, I didn't. He's I, dead. I assume he's dead. He fell in the pool with the rocks. Uh, but I don't. I, I don't trust Sasha as a narrator. Um, I think that's also true. Like, I think she's, you know, she lies and she tells us she's lying. Mm -hmm. Like when she says it's possible that he put the ipecac in the wine, but, but unlikely. But not likely. And then she says, if I would have. Hugged him more, I would have noticed the rocks weighing down his pocket. Well, then you know that she knew that, right? So yeah. I think she's, you know, she's not exactly honest in any way. Um, but yeah, I assume he's dead. Yeah, but I mean, if there were enough rocks in his pocket, she would have seen them. I mean, th there's so many things. I mean, it's not a few pebbles. But yeah, I mean, the thing with the Ipecac wine, I, I actually really liked that sort of chapter too. That that chapter was just that line, a very memorable line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just like, it just really gave you a lot of atmosphere. Um, but then later on, she talks, she says that he put Ipecac in the wine like all every night and that it was wearing off. And so it's like, what do you mean it's possible he put Ipecac in the wine? Like, you know he did, so. Or maybe she's saying she did it later. I don't know. Maybe she's doing it. Ooh, I, I, don't know. I think she was implying that the meat was bad, but I don't, it just, you don't know. Because then she throws that line out about how it's possible he put Ipecac in there. But then later on, she she says that he was putting it in the wine. So, 
I think that he's dead. Okay. And I think the reason why he's dead is that there is no possible way Dyson would allow her to take credit for the Asnospherians and the, the treatment plan and allow her to sort of become the head of this massive organization when it was his idea. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe she is such an unreliable narrator, which, again, from my perspective, uh, the last thing this novel really needed was more unreliability. Um, now, maybe she's such an unreliable narrator that it really was her idea from the beginning. And she used him and all this other stuff, but I don't think so. I think that he, you know, cause he seemed worried enough about making sure that she knew that he was in charge and mm-hmm. he was driving force um, that if he were still breathing, he'd want to be in on that. Yeah. 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 But not in a silent partner getting payments under the table kind of way, a front page of time magazine man of the year kind of. Cause he, he was craving for that. Yep. But- you know, I mean, he craved attention, but, you know, I think there, I think Sasha did say something that was also a really good insight was that he was also craving not just the father, but fathers is something she says about, about those, those 12 archetypal mm-hmm. yeah. guys that he chose. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I, my sense is that he is dead. I think he went into the thing with the idea that if it worked great, this is my ticket. And if it doesn't, this is going to kill me Mm. because all the evidence from so many of these other cults, right. Have such a history of destruction and death that it's, you know, entirely predictable. And it's also, you know, that a lot of his behaviors are very self-harming, you know, had been very self-harming the whole time, you know, so it's not unlikely. So uh, Caroline uh, brought something up that I think, is really important. And I think it gets at, you know, one of the things, many of the things that we've been talking about, you know, there's a lot about gender and masculinity, you know, is it, what does it mean that, that our author is non-binary, you know, does that play a role in thinking about um, the gender in this book, particularly since there aren't really any non-binary characters in the book? I'll I'll say something quick, um, but so here's the thing. For me, I learned a lot about the way I talk about gender, um, both from this book, but also what I always tell Aubrey and what I've said a million times in the book club is that I never read books by men, right? I, I almost only read books written by women. And I understand now that my language is limiting, that what I need to say, there's a different way that I need to say that, right? So I'm learning language and I can still learn. I'm 43, I can still learn, right? So that's something that I thought of when I chose this book and I looked at the cover and I was like, oh, interesting. So this is a non-binary author. So that made me um, open up a lot of questions around um, the way they describe gender in the book. Um, If this author would have been male gender or he, him, I would have it would have been easier for me to take issue with the way he described women in the book um, or femininity versus masculinity. And so I think by being a non-binary author, there are, um, it just makes me think, um, I have to think harder about how to criticize the way they describe the genders in this book. I mean, to me, you know, I, I think um, that is why I was thinking that, yes, it is a criticism of women and men, but that it's a criticism also of all these, like, 
women are supposed to be, you know, this way. They're supposed to be catty and not be able to have friends and, you know, really beautiful all the time. And men are supposed to be, today, men are supposed to be vulnerable and also really strong. And, you know, all of the things, they get a lot of a lot of messages now. Um, so it did seem to me that I think um, being non-binary, they were able to sort of look at, you know, the big stereotypes of, of what is expected of women and men, particularly on social media. I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's uh, non-binary is something, it's like a space that I don't know personally or experientially how to occupy. Um, with also the caveats of kind of being slotted into that place doesn't necessarily mean that, um, yeah. ooh, all the sort of benefits and costs of, mm-hmm. of you know, presenting as male, those things still work for you. And, I, you know, there's an awful, and again, I'm going to kind of go back to my whinge about the workshop novel. Unreliable female narrators are very, very popular, right? It's a little bit like Handsome Vampires a few years ago. And that, you know, shiny, shiny, handsome vampires, shiny, sparkly, handsome vampires were a few years ago. (laughs) And, you know, women can be bitches. Well, yeah. Well done. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Tell me something Jane Austen didn't. (laughs) Um, And that's the part about this that frustrates me a little bit about the sort of putting non-binary in the author's, in the author's description of themselves. It's just, you know, again, this is something that I don't have any business commenting on, but yet relying a lot on standard male tropes about women in the book. Yeah. And not really being sure if those are part of the satire or whether those are just typical lazy male writing about women. Um, That's what I was thinking. Yeah. I know. Seriously, Lisa, you said it exactly. But in general, I felt like, you know, I felt there was a lot of critique of women more Mm -hmm. and more, um, that we've um, heard, or as, you know, right. Yeah. A lot versus like the, the men, I mean, the men, you know, were character, you know, character caricatures as well. But, um, but I thought like, you know, um, it seemed like the, the book is about men. Um, and at the same time, it just seemed like, and the, but women are worse kind of thing right we can we can do something with the gun we can do something with these men but it didn't i didn't get a sense that i was gonna you know there's no cult for the women yeah (laughs) um so we're we're running out of time but i i do want to talk about the idea of like uh, dyson you know specifically set out to build a cult (laughs) is there a way that a cult would be a good thing Right. I don't think he was thinking, you know, in, in that way. I just think he needed, I think the character wanted to be in charge of for once. Right. You know, as an actor who is not really, not, you know, like he was always, you know, somebody the the man or an extra, you know, an extra, 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 like the worst, you know, or something. So I thought, I don't, yeah, I, yeah. So that's, 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 I guess where I, where I was at with it. Who does that? Uh, so my ex-husband used to joke about wanting to start a cult. So, well, but was it funny? Ha ha joke. Or was it like douchebag humor where like, if you laugh, he's like, okay. But if you call him out on it, he's like, it's just a joke. Uh." Yeah. What you said. There's an, there's an X for a reason. Um, 
Yeah, but yeah. Like, seriously, he thought that he could do it because he's smarter than everybody else. And It's never, you know, it's never a good thing on criminal minds. You know, in the history of cults, there's this, you don't, you don't call sort of organizations that might be, you know, wanting to do the same thing, rehabilitate men, let's just say. Rehabilitate white men to be human, whatever it is. But you wouldn't call it a cult unless it was kind of a bad thing for the people in the cult, right? So I just went on, I just went on a long reading jag about a whole bunch of uh, Mormon fringe cults that ended up being kind of murdery. See, and they all end up in Texas. I don't understand. I think it's because this way they can geographically isolate their members from other mm -hmm. members of the LDS church where they might have like more healthy, like religious influences and pull them away from these terrible men. Yeah, who are isolation is a big deal, right? Who run, yeah, who run these cults. You know, because I think you're right. I mean, if this were, like in reality, if a person were going to try to do something like this, they would call it a program, right? Right? They'd call it, uh, you know, some sort of therapeutic module or thing, you know? As soon as he came to her with his plan to create a cult, my first response was, why are none of you people going to go get therapy mm -hmm. before you would even try something like this? So with the intentionality of, like, I guess I had a question about it from the beginning was, is this a, was this actually a get rich scheme, right? That kind of went wrong on him because of his limits, or did he really think that there was the possibility that, because, I mean, so much turns on the word cult, mm -hmm. right? Like, is it, are, you know, sort of new religious movements, are those cults? Right. Right. Like, when does something stop being a new religious movement and, you know, start to become a cult? And I'm willing to say, you know, when they start murdering their own members, that's probably when you've gone over the line to, yeah, from, from healthy thinking differently sort of healthy forms of intentional community and social control which is you know you know a uh, cultural provision and and shared common um ritual and all the things that you know healthy relationships with religion um and and so social mores or other types of practices might convey um but how many people really start out how many people who wind up in cults really started out to create one and how many of them just get co-opted by sociopaths right and so which is basically what randy is from the beginning oh totally um totally um but that was my question uh, about dyson you know i mean it's just an interesting and, and you know perhaps it's all really sasha and and we're you know we've just been sold a bill of goods and she's the sociopath all along right um but with Dyson, you know, specifically calling it a cult, you know, and then, um, you know, when she is, um, you know, when they enter the second phase and she's not allowed to see that sort of, um, I think um, she describes it as a, a ritual of withholding forgiveness, you know, and there was something about that that made me think, you know, was his intention to actually hurt the men or was it you know it, you know their intention think, to hurt them i think so i think so i mean you know you take these people that you know are wanting help and you know clearly have you know joined because they want to be loved and be a part of a community and then the first thing you do is is you know 
start them on a binge purge sort of thing. And then you, yes, that face exactly, Caroline. Um, you know, so, you know, I swear this, this podcast would be so much better if we just had Caroline cam. I know. seriously. <laughs> it would always be. It would always be better. <laughs> Her reactions are so awesome. I think he intent. I, I don't know if he, I don't know. These, 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 these characters lack so so much self-awareness they have literally no clue how they affect other people because they almost never think about other people even when they think they're thinking about other people right that's the hardcore narcissism it's just it's like a hard brick wall around these characters and so you know he has this pathological need to punish right his abuser and he sees these he sets these men into that situation for abusers and that's another part of the satire that for me goes really really wrong in that, you know, but I, and I, but I also think it might actually be very socially significant what he's trying to say here, which is, you know, forgiving people in strangers, right? These are all strangers. None of these men know each other. None of them have, except for, you know, putting Epic hack in the wine or whatever, right? They haven't really, they haven't harmed each other yet. All the people that they have harmed are in communities that these men are no longer a part of. Yeah. And so the very notion that they might be forgiven. Mm-hmm. Right in the in this artificial context that he's brought them in, just very cheapens the very notion mm-hmm. of male accountability. Yeah. Right. Even though the intention was that he was going to take them out of that context so that they could learn better. Right. Right. Having them kind of go through this torturous process of revealing the worst things they've ever done when there isn't any other basis for loving them mm-hmm. is it's really vicious. Yeah. That's yeah. Um. That is what it. I mean, the right. reason why we want to have restorative justice is we want to keep people in community, and we want to hold them accountable for the harms they cause. We don't want to just send them off somewhere like, oh, I don't know, prison or a, a mall where they're all wearing uniforms and. <laughs> can we, can I ask a question though? Before vomiting we... over troughs. Yes, go ahead. Before, oh yeah, <laughs> you keep bringing that up. I keep bringing. It was so there. I mean, it was. It's the. The vision that, uh, yeah. We're going to have to, we're going to have to record these before lunch if you're going to return to the vomit trip. <laughs> okay, young lady, that's all I'm going to say about that. But I have a question. Uh, the ending just does not work for me. Hmm. Um, it just doesn't yeah, work. I for was me. confused too. By it. Okay. That's why I think on, on, that's why I asked, you know, did he really die? or Just because it just seemed like, oh, so just uh, another way of, leasing people you know what I mean like you know and you know so then you know you're the you know you have this dead entity you know that people that makes it more of a, a um cult kind of a thing you know if he's just you know I don't know that's why it was it was odd at the end for me like I was I couldn't I was like it felt like it changed somehow. Like it was a, yet yet another book, right? <laughs> We're going through. Exactly. Yeah. So I actually, I mean, I have issues with you know the reason she's talking to this reporter, but you know it, it was not really a reporter, right? This who's also like this. He's trying guy to. Who's trying to? Who's trying again? Yeah. Kind of like Dyson, just sort of you know this yeah. is going to be this is going to be my break where yeah. everybody's going to know who I am now once I get this you know and yeah. you know and. Um, in this modern world, it's hard to tell who a reporter is and who they are and yeah. who isn't a reporter. 
True enough. Um, But it did seem like that the intention of harming these men disguised as helping seemed to just really grow um, and that that's what they were continuing to do. And, um, and it did seem like mega, mega culty at that point. Um, oh, yeah. And I don't know, you know, I'm not really sure where I feel Sasha fits into it all, but it did seem like, well, I guess if you wanted to hurt a bunch of men, they did. And Randy's perfectly happy. Yeah, Randy's perfectly happy. And Randy's the only character in this entire book that makes sense to me. Yeah. Because he, yeah. <laughs> um, so I feel like, you know, there, we could really talk a lot more about this. I think that you're, um, you know, that that ultimately I think um, there's maybe too much going on for well, it to be a true. Is it the fact that what, 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 what drove me nuts about the ending was her blowing it up? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Randy's presence there, her getting richer and richer and being at the center of all this, causing harm and all these other things, even though the statistics are that it's improving people, which is also confusing, but her needing to blow it up at the end confuses me a lot. Now, either that's maybe a statement on her pathological need for drama, right? Like this is just, it's it's going too well now, and she's bored with this incarnation of her public fame. And now she wants to enter into a new phase of it. But it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I didn't understand that part either. Yeah. And I felt like, I, you know. Um, you mean literally blowing it up? No, oh, okay. she does not I literally like, blow Did it up. I really yeah. miss that part? <laughs> Would that be a pretty uh, big oversight <laughs> reading? <laughs> I really wasn't Well, it could have happened in a sentence. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was sort of thinking about like when they went to the movies and it came out and they, everything had literally yeah. blown up. And I was like, what would happen? Yeah. Um, oh gosh, that whole, that whole scene. Um, so, you know, I don't think we came to any, a lot of conclusions, but I think there, you know, the thing about this is that there is a lot to talk about. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So Caroline, because um, I know that you have a, a call um, I'm going to ask you all three of our questions okay. first uh, so that you can hop off. Oh, thanks. Sorry. Um, did you like the book? I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I uh, Would you recommend, you know, who would you recommend to read it? Everyone I talked to about it w- got so freaked out by the man hordes and so disgusted <laughs> by the, like, the, they just couldn't even listen to me talk about it. Like, <laughs> Megan has to listen to me talk about every book. And she was like this. That face. Okay. <laughs> so, no. And after talking to you guys, so usually you make me like the book more, but actually oh. you guys made me like it less. <laughs> no, but that's good because I was trying to force myself to like it. And, and I don't need to like everything. No, you don't. Yeah. Um, okay. And uh, the last question is, uh, what are you reading now? Oh, um, I'm um, my palate cleanser this whole summer has been Nora Roberts. Oh, yeah. So I'm reading a book about a plane crash in Alaska, and it's sort of like a romantic whodunit. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much. I Thank you. I'll see you soon. Have a good meeting. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. if, if she read the entire Nora Roberts oeuvre, we'll never see her again. <laughs> well, that I don't know. That woman publishes a book every 10 minutes. 
I mean, no, I, I went to the bathroom this morning and she published four more books on me. It's true, <laughs> but they take like an hour to read. So yeah, but still, <laughs> yeah, but you, yeah, it's true. Well, that's um, you know what, Car- Caroline's only in her forties; she's got time yet. Yeah. She totally has time. Um, yeah, I, you know, Nora Roberts and those t- like, yeah, those are total palate cleansers. It's that's a good thing. Um, I'm glad that (laughs) Caroline has a palate cleanser after this. So Lisa and Donna Jean, did you like the book? Um, I would say that I liked the writing. I think this is, I think there's a very, um, um, a really good writer. I I love the language. Um, I thought, you know, so I I love that. Um, The the story didn't, quite work for me. I was like, what am I supposed to think about any of these people? You know, even, you know, like I said, I I wasn't, you know, I didn't know if, if the if um Dyson was dead or not oh, wow, at the end yeah. of the book. I was like, I feel like I missed something, you know. Um but this is somebody who's really good with language and I I like that. I would I would if you had, an, you know, another book, I would probably have a look at it because I thought this is somebody I like the way they use language. And um, I laughed and I was like appalled. So there is some some talent there. But I just didn't think the story. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, was not something I really wanted to spend a whole lot more with it. I mean, it was an easy, quick, it was not good. quick, but it was an easy read, you know. So, um, yeah, they write, they write very well about place. They do. Place descriptions are lovely. Although, you know, um, having, you know, grown up in the Pine Barrens, I would say that the, not really, I didn't feel like I was in the Pine Barrens, except for like a brief mention of uh, the the sandy soil and, you know, the Jersey Devil, except not even talking about the Jersey Devil. You know, if I had never been there, it would have gone over my head and I wouldn't even have noticed. So yeah, I don't really think about that as really writing about place though. Here, yeah, yeah. we're really talking about this farm. Yeah, you know, you're right, right, and creating that as a place, right? It has yeah. it, that place has a real dimensionality to it. I'm not really, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, I, I would be able to tell you about the, the verisimilitude of yeah. of the Pine Barrens. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, I I I feel that there. I sort of missed that that specificity only because when mm-hmm. I read it, I was like, Ooh, I'm excited. You know, I, I'm not sure that that in and of itself is enough to get you to really like a book. I think I'm kind of coming down with Donna Jean. The book is, it's a hard read because the themes are really difficult and they're very triggering. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure. I just don't know if that's, if those are themes that a responsible writer subjects to satire. Right, like satire should be directed at power, in my opinion. Terry Pratchett said this, and I thought it was very insightful. And what we have here are a lot of there's a lot of hurt in the world. Yeah. And it's it's legitimate hurt. It's not hurt that needs to be ridiculed or or shamed or downplayed. And I don't think that was probably the writer's intent. No. But it kind of is the writer's result here. I think they are a very gifted writer in terms of prose. Yeah. And there's a lot of really pithiness, you know, there's a lot of um, good one-liners. But I was like, like Lisa was saying, I was, I, as you were speaking, I was thinking about the, 
I don't know, I can't remember. It was where they were talking about the the men hordes, and there was sort of like, oh, in I don't know where they're in Target, and this idea that like you know these men are opening up all these like you know cans of like paint and throwing them on like women and children. I was like, what, what, what? And then and it didn't go to anything. It was just this whole you know horrible um, image, and it didn't go. It, it didn't go anywhere it didn't not, there was no you know I was like well what happened <laughs> and what you know so it was one of those things where it was like I, I could see he was like oh I have this vision and I'm going to put that in there too and that's where I think where it was sort of like okay can we get back to the story and like where are we going with it a little bit but but he, he knows I mean how to use words in the, the language I laughed I you know I, I don't. I didn't cry, but I laughed a lot. So I, um, I think I liked it more than anyone else. But I think I also, um, I, I wouldn't say I liked it. You know, I, I wouldn't give it a five out of five stars. I would probably give it a three. You know, I think the writing's really good. To me, I also think I appreciated some of that sort of all these strings that don't go anywhere because that is what. Uh, the news and social media feels like sometimes, you know, you hear all this, these stories, you know, uh, and then you never hear the outcome, you know, this police officer, you know, did this, and we're going to investigate. And then, you know, six months later, you still have no idea what happened, you know, um, that we sort of have this, like, here's the crisis. And, and it's really like, look, look over here. It's all this paint, it's shiny. And then and it doesn't go anywhere because now you're on to the next thing, whatever the next thing is. Um, that's what it felt like to me. Um, I'm not sure that that makes a great novel. I don't feel like the world is short that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a day life and we, we need it in this novel too. Yeah. And it didn't feel like that was necessarily the direction that satire was going. So it just felt a little bit like here is the world right now, except on steroids. Well, again, the MFA novel structure again of, Oh, we're going to tell this through fast flashbacks. And the narrator up front already knows what's happening here, but she's not going to reveal it until it's like novelistically convenient is also something that irritates me a little bit. Yeah. I don't, I don't mind that as much, but I, you know, I mean, I do, I do. I don't like being flung around on a timeline Yeah, when a story starts to build in the main timeline. And then all of a sudden I'm being jerked out of that timeline into another one. Yeah. I think I read too much science fiction and fantasy novels where you're always going back and <laughs> forth and like, yeah. So um, did you have a favorite line, which is something I forgot to ask Caroline and it is okay to say no, no. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, was trying to think. yeah I, don't, I don't think it did, but I, I thought it was like, again, like I thought the prose was clever and, you know. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. The, the section called our mission, which is in part five, it's like, you know, the second to last chapter. Um, I just found it, you know, so full of those little, those things, you know, that they're, they produce tiny little houses, tiny house kits. That's what they do to make their money. And, you know, the atmosphere where men become human. Um, I sort of thought that in some ways that was the book. Mm. Like, that could have been it. I, I am looking forward to more from this author. Um, but ultimately I'm not, yeah, 
not a fan. Although it was really good to talk to you all about it. Yeah. <laughs> so what are you reading next? I don't have anything on my shelf right now. I have to start, I don't think about, you know, um, what to read next. You know, it's, um, yeah, with the start of the, you know, the semester is like a little, <laughs> I'm reading. I know, especially coming back into, in real life. Um, I have to say last week was um, just one day a week. It was really hard. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um so uh, I'm actually reading uh, for my other USC book club. I am reading uh, Aminata Forna's Happiness, a novel. Um, I'm only two pages in, so I couldn't tell you if I'm liking <laughs> it or not. But that is the next thing on my list. So thank you both for joining me in this yeah. conversation. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a lot. It's good to see you, Lisa. <laughs> all right. That's all we have time for today. So thank you again to my guests, uh, dream team, as it were, Caroline and Donna Jean and Lisa. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, and thank you to all of our listeners. This was probably a hard one to listen to. To find links to some of the things we talked about today, check out the website, bedrosian.usc.edu slash book club. We're reading Not a Nation of Immigrants by Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz for September. So we hope you read along with us, or at least skim along with us. Uh, the link to the book will be in the show page. And um, also coming up uh, in a few weeks, we have an interview with USC author Michael Messner about his new book, Unconventional Combat, Intersectional Action in the Veterans Peace Movement. Uh, it should be a really good conversation, and if you're interested in veterans at all, have a listen. Subscribe if you don't want to miss it, and share it with someone uh, who you think will love it. Thank you also to my co-producer, Jonathan Schwartz, and obviously, our beloved sound supervisors, the Brothers Hedden. We would be nothing without them. Coming to you from the University of Southern California, thank you, and until next time, take care of yourself and your neighbors. <laughs>